0: Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving, life-changing. Take care. Good morning, friends. Isn't it great that even though our time together may look a little bit different than usual, our God is still the same. And wherever we gather today, whether you're sitting on your couch, watching this on your television, whether you're laying in bed, watching on your phone, uh, God is with us. He is here in our presence, and we are in his presence as well. Today, I am so excited to be back with you uh, here at Journey Church, and I'm excited to continue our series that Pastor Ricardo began a couple weeks ago called Wait, What? As we look at some big challenges God has called his people to. Sometimes uh, these challenges have seemed crazy, maybe even impossible, but in the end, God has always given his people exactly what they need to accomplish his goodwill. Will you join me in prayer for a moment and let's pray enough, God, uh, to just bless this word today. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time that we have together. I thank you that uh, through the modern wonders of communication, we can still gather together. We can open your word and hear what you have to say to us. God, may today's words uh, be a blessing to my friends. May uh, whoever is listening be encouraged in their faith and challenged to uh, look at the impossible things that you may ask us to do and realize that with your help, we can achieve exactly what you want us to do. God, we love you, we give you our time together today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know about you, but I have recently felt like God is asking me to do the impossible. Hard to believe it's been nearly a year since the world got a bit weird, right? I mean, a year ago at this time, um, who would have thought that we'd have church online, we'd have school online, we'd order food online, and spend most of our time online at home? Uh, Everything has gotten a little crazy, and sometimes I feel like God has been testing me in my faith, asking me to trust him when things seem a little bit out of control. Honestly, when this whole thing started uh, back in March of last year, We're almost a year into this, can you believe it? Uh, Back when everything started, I was a little bit stressed and I was a bit worried. I had some really good conversations with Robin, my wife, and uh, she kept challenging me to stop being so scared. But honestly, I was a little freaked out. She had just been furloughed from her job. Uh, My daughter was being sent home from college. Uh, I was not traveling anywhere. Everyone was being forced to stay at home. And I got a little freaked out. I felt like I kept asking God, you want me to do what? I have to face that fear. I have to be strong for who? And I didn't feel strong or brave or any of that. I felt a little bit like, well, like maybe things were a bit out of control. That's why I love this sermon series. And I loved it when Pastor Ricardo first brought it up to me, this idea, because I think the Bible is full of stories to encourage us in moments where we are asking those big questions. God, what is it you're asking me to do? Uh, we've heard about Abraham and Gideon. We've heard about Jesus' disciples. Uh, what about Ruth, Esther, Paul? Today, I want to draw our attention to someone who really had to face some huge, uh, big things. Time after time in his life, God asked him to do what seemed impossible. And I'm sure he was constantly asking, wait, what? In fact, the Bible has a whole book where this guy often wrote out his big questions to God. He He was wondering out loud just how he could face these big and seemingly impossible tasks that God continually put in front of him. He asked hard questions. God, God, where are you? My God, I feel like everyone's out to get me. God, why have you forsaken me? These are things that he asked on a regular basis. And I love the fact that they're in the Bible because it means that we can be honest and get a little worried and scared too sometimes. Obviously, if you've been in church for a little while or ever picked up a Bible, you probably know who I'm talking about. The name is David, and he is probably one of the most well-known people in the Bible. Even folks who don't know much about Scripture have heard about the shepherd boy. They probably heard at least one of his poems, his songs. Um, The most famous one, the Psalm 23, uh, is the one where he talks about how God is a shepherd and he shall not want, and he lays down in pastures, he gets his soul restored, uh, he goes to the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, People have been quoting Psalm 23 who don't even really have any kind of God connection because of the the power of the words of David's poetry there. It's a reminder, as, as David is writing these things, that all of us can't have something bigger and greater to hold on to. But... At the beginning of his life, David wasn't quite at that point. I mean, I'm sure he could trust God. I'm sure he knew that. But he was about to enter some big wait what moments with God at the beginning of his life. David's story, though, begins with someone else's. His story starts with King Saul. If you know a little bit about your uh, Bible history, uh, Israel went to God after the time of the judges, uh, after the time of Gideon, and said, Hey, God, we want to be like other nations. We need a king. We want someone to stand strong for us, to fight for us, to be our leader. And God's like, Hey, look, I. I'm that guy. But because I'm a good God and I want to have you see what happens, um, I'll give you a king. And he gave them Saul. And Saul was everything a king should be. He was tall, handsome, good looking. The ladies loved him. The guys loved him. Too. He was a man's man. He was a lady. Everybody loved this guy. And he's annoyed by Samuel the prophet. Uh, even Samuel's like, wow, this guy's going to be great. But eventually, The Bible makes clear in the book of 1 Samuel that Saul eventually stopped getting guidance from God and stopped seeking God's will. And he chose to listen to his own counsel, which if you know anything about God, that's never the the wisest choice. Eventually, God uh, chooses to reject Saul. And he decides to anoint someone else from outside of Saul's family to be the king. So he uh, sends his prophet Samuel elsewhere. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to that. And he says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel, the prophet, leaves where he lives and he goes to Bethlehem. Yes, the Bethlehem from Christmas. We know this Bethlehem very well, right? Uh, he invites Jesse, who's this prominent man around town, and he asks him to join him in a sacrifice to the Lord. God tells Samuel that he will reveal to him uh, which one of Jesse's sons will be God's choice for the new king. And uh, so Samuel says, great. He sits down, all having this nice sacrifice feast together and uh, Eliab, who is uh, Jesse's oldest son, comes forward. And the first thing that uh, Samuel does when he looks at him is go, wow, that's the guy. That's the one. That's the guy I, I, I'm so excited about. I love this guy. He's got to be the king, and um, and as you know, we're kind of like that sometimes. I mean, I am. I often uh, know what God wants me to do. I often know he wants me to do something big, and I, he wants me to trust him, and when I see this thing that looks nice and good and probably be just right, I say to myself, yes, this is what God wants me to do, but the question of the series is, wait, what? Which means what God usually wants us to do isn't the act. Uh, easy or the obvious thing. So Samuel looks at Eliab and goes, yes, that's the one that God wants. But God makes clear to Samuel uh, in a very, uh, it's a great verse. It's one of the verses that just kind of points to the the reality of who God is and how he judges us. He says this in 1 Samuel 16 chapter 7. I'm sorry. (laughs) 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Wait, what? The one who looks and acts the most like the king isn't the one God wants? I'm sure Samuel is a little bit puzzled. He says, okay, God, I'll trust you. So Jesse brings out his next oldest son named Abinadab, and God says, nope, that's not the one either. So then Jesse brings out his next son, Shema, and God says, nope, he's not the one. Eventually, Jesse brings seven sons before Samuel. They don't know what it's for. They just know that the prophet wants to give these guys a review. Samuel looks at each one of them. God rejects each one of them. Samuel's like, do you have any other sons? And eventually, Jesse uh, says, oh, yeah, I have a youngest son, Um, but he's out with the sheep. Samuel sits down and Blake basically says, I'm not leaving until he gets back. So the youngest son, the shepherd, he finally gets back. He smells bad. He's been with sheep all day, right? But the Bible says he is glowing with health. I love that because to me, that sounds like he was very red and sweaty, right? He's very healthy. He's been out with the sheep. He comes in. He looks, you know, like a guy who's been out there. He's not very old. He's probably still a teenager. And God chooses him. God chooses this young man, the afterthought son, as the next king of Israel. It's a big moment for David, but surprisingly, nothing happens. Seriously, uh, he's anointed with oil, he's proclaimed the next king, and everything just goes back to way it was. He goes back to his sheep, Samuel goes home, Saul's still the king. But wait, what? It's one of these moments that David faces time and time again. God's prophet has just anointed him. To be the king of Israel. Imagine you found out that, uh, let's say a representative comes from the government. And he comes to your house and he chooses you to be the next ambassador to France. Great. But nothing happens. You don't get an email. You don't get a travel voucher to, to fly anywhere. You don't get any information. You just are sitting at home waiting to find out, okay, well, I I got this thing that says I'm going to be... You'd be wondering, do you even know what's happening? What's going on? I'm sure David is asking. He's like, God, what are you up to? I was just made a king. I'm a shepherd now. Is anything going to happen? Have you ever asked that question? Have you felt like God has made clear that something is going to happen in your life? He's giving you direction, and then suddenly you're just waiting again? That's David in this moment. And he's asking God, like you and I would, what are you up to? What are you doing, God? He thinks about being king. He thinks about what that means and all that it encompasses. And then he hears the He looks down and is like, all right, I'm still a shepherd. And then he starts writing another song. So often we have these things where we're called to do something. We know something's gonna happen, but then we are asked to just wait. That may cause us to wonder, God, why are we waiting? What are you doing? Well, when we're waiting, just because God's not saying something does not mean that God is not doing something. Remember that. Just because God is not saying something does not mean he's not doing something because God is always working. Even when he is silent, he is making clear that he is up to something. He just doesn't tell us what it's going to be. In a weird turn of events, the story gets a little crazy now because Saul um, starts to have these moody fits. Um, The Bible says that um, an evil spirit uh, kind of Interesting. I don't think that means Saul was demon-possessed or something like that. It just means that uh, he, with the absence of God's control and and, uh, anointing on his life, uh, the pressures of being king, the pressures of everything he's facing, uh, starts to really uh, bog him down. And he starts to get a little paranoid, a little crazy. Um, he's kind of almost Shakespearean King Lear, uh, Macbeth moments where, uh, in the midst of sitting there in his, uh, in his, uh, group of people that are there at the, at the, in the Royal Council, uh, he starts to have these fits, these like crazy fits. Um, and they start to realize that, well, music calms him down, uh, I'm a little bit that way too, not to the crazy fit part of it, I don't like how these crazy fits, but when I get moody or sad, I like to listen to music. In fact, um, there's a very specific piece of music uh, that they play uh, at Disney's California Adventure. If you've ever been there, it's in the Grizzly Peak area, it's where the, uh, the big bear-like mountain is, and they've got the river right there. But it's this beautiful area themed to the Redwoods of California and they play this music there that's just oh it's sweeping it's gorgeous it's epic it's a combination of just great film scores and these it's just music lifts my spirit and when i was going through a pretty uh, dark turn a couple years ago i played it a lot in fact i played it so often that um, my family started calling it my sad loop so um I try not to listen to it very much anymore unless I'm feeling good, because I'm not sad. I don't want to feel that way. But I understand how Saul felt. I mean, sometimes music does help a bad mood, you know. Um, And so what's great is that in this moment, uh, Saul's advisors, uh, one of them somehow remembers or knows about David. They remember that David is nearby, and they also remember that he writes his own songs. He plays the guitar. Technically, not a guitar. He plays the 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 lyre, which is the harpy type thing that you see in like pictures of uh, cherubs uh, from the Renaissance, right? Oh, now I'm sure David sounded beautiful. I mean, in fact, he uh, he's a nice guy. He he takes care of sheep. He's a good kid, and he plays and writes his own songs. Perfect. So they call him into David uh, into Saul's court, and the next day, David, who has been tending sheep one day, is now sitting next to the king. He becomes an armor bearer for the king. I mean, he's sitting. I mean, he's suddenly part of the court which is pretty big deal for a kid that was just a shepherd boy a little while ago. Um, In fact, uh, I guess you could say that David becomes the official worship leader for the King of Israel. Um, Not a bad gig. I would like to have a guy sit next to me and whenever I felt sad, he'd start to sing me a song. I mean, it'd be weird in our family to have a guy who suddenly is sitting there and the family be like, why is he here? Well, he's here to cheer me up when I feel bad. (laughs) Uh, But I'm not the king, I'm just a guy. So I don't get that. I'll just turn on my iTunes, it works out great. But the shepherd boy is now the official worship leader for the king of Israel. And it's not what David expected, right? I mean, it's good. Uh, It's a little closer to the king than he's ever been before. But it's got to be a little weird for David because he knows he's been anointed to replace the very guy he's singing to. I guarantee you, while he's sitting there singing the songs and playing his guitar, liar, uh, he's wondering, wait, what? Is this what God wants for me? Did I misunderstand Samuel when he showed up? When he anointed my head and said I was going to be the next king? Did he really mean I'm just going to be the next king singer? Maybe maybe that's what it is. Like David, I do that sometimes. I've gotten a little farther to where I know God wants me to be. Maybe you're like that too. God has called you to go somewhere. He's gotten a little farther so you're closer than you've ever been before. And you feel like it's in reach, but you're not quite there on the way. Like David, you're sitting next to the king but you aren't the king, and you start to wonder, did I, did I miss something again? What is it that God wants for me? Well, I think David's example here is, is great because his example is one of patience. And I'm not a patient person. I, I, I struggle with it a lot. Uh, if I were David, I probably would have um, done some work on my own song, uh, maybe start saying, God is awesome, calm down Saul. It's going to be okay, because soon you won't be king anyway. It'll be me. I'm the new king. Uh, maybe you at that point would have pushed a little bit to God. Hey, God, uh, can we get this going a little bit? Maybe you finished one of his songs, and he got all done, and looked at the king and said, Hey, thanks for having me here. It's been great to be with you guys, uh, but can you just get off that throne now, uh, Saul, because Stanley wanted me to be king, and I'm here to kind of replace you. I've been in a situation like that far more than I care to admit, right? Trying to rush God to get to what I know he has prepared for me. Every time I try to hurry and push God along, what does he do? He says, wait, 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 wait. Calm down, Dwayne, don't rush into it, be patient. That's why David's example here is so good. I guarantee you he is a bit confused. He knows he's supposed to be the next king. He knows God has chosen him to replace Saul. He's wondering, what, what is God up to? But he doesn't try to force God's hand. He may be asking, like you and I sometimes, wait, what? But he's content to wait for God to give him the answer when he is ready. That's good advice for us today, right? I mean, in a world where we get everything on demand, we have uh, instant food, instant entertainment, instant messages, Instant messages. <laughs> hey, nice. We we want God to answer our questions right away. God, tell me now. And God says, hey, wait. I will let you know when. My timing is what I want for you. Wait. So David waits and sings and tends sheep. And he waits and he tends sheep and he sings. And every day he's wondering, is God going to do anything about that whole anointing thing? God is definitely going to do something. But what it's going to do is going to make David pause. Because what God is about to ask him to do, what God is about to ask this shepherd boy who sings songs and plays guitar is going to be one of the biggest, you want me to do what, moments in the entire Bible. To set the story though, we must pause for just a a little bit more history. Saul, the current king, was there at the request of the people, which we talked about, because they wanted someone to protect them from their biggest enemies. Pastor Ricardo talked about uh, when Gideon, it was the Midianites. And now, uh, hundreds of years later, the Midianites aren't even a deal anymore. Now it's a group of people from an area called Philistia, which was on the coast of the land of Judah. So right there on the Mediterranean Sea. It was a confederation of about 10 cities. And uh, they basically all ganged up together, these city-states, to say, Israel, we don't like you. We don't want you around here. This is not your land. Um, And so they start bullying them over the, uh, these many, many years, uh, fighting them, um, causing strife and, and worry for the people of Israel. Um, Saul had been asked uh, to get rid of them as king. The trouble is the Philistines weren't scared of Saul and his army at all because uh, as it turned out, they actually had a pretty tough champion fighting for them. If we skip forward in our Bible to chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, we read how the Philistines gathered their armies and forces for war and they drew Saul's army out. Saul and the Israelites assembled, and they camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over, uh, he's about six cubits and a span. That translates for us to this guy was about nine feet, nine inches tall. Nearly ten feet tall. That's what. Uh, that's what he's uh, rightly called a giant. So that's I'm five. Uh, I'm five feet four inches. I'm not tall. I understand. That. That's like two of me um, standing on my shoulders. That's a. That's a big guy. That's someone who comes at you. You're a little nervous. But it's not just that he's tall. He's also huge. He had a, bron- a bronze helmet on his head. He wears a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing about 125 pounds. So just his armor weighs 125 pounds. That's that's heavy. On his legs, he's wearing bronze greaves. He has a, has a bronze javelin on his back. His spear shaft is huge. And the point of the spear shaft weighs 36 pounds. 36 pounds! So he's a big guy carrying heavy armor and one mighty weapon. So Goliath, uh, he had this thing that he liked to do. He uh, he, he comes out every day. So here you got, the, you got the Philistines on one hill. you got the Israelites on the other hill. And there's a valley in the middle of them. And Goliath every day walks out, stands on the edge of his hill. And he uh, starts shouting to the ranks of Israel. Why do you not come out in line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will be your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will be our subjects. And you will serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Wow. Um, as they used to say in the, the old westerns, them's fighting words. It, <laughs> he's calling them out. But instead of responding like the God of Abraham, the God of Gideon, the Bible says that on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. This is the opposite of what God wants from his followers. He doesn't want us to cower in fear when things get tough and worrisome whenever something happens in my family's life that is unexpected or a bit worrying um, we we started using a phrase I think I learned it from Max Lucado many years ago um, well none of that surprised God right he didn't wake up this morning uh, and be surprised by something that happened in your life he didn't wake up that morning and suddenly see Goliath and get nervous and worried He didn't see the Philistines and think, wait, where did these guys come from? I I had no idea this was gonna happen. God knew that Goliath was gonna be there. He knew the Philistines were coming. And because he knew that, his followers, his children, the people that have pledged themselves to him, Saul and his army, they should have been strong. Because they knew that God knew this was already going to happen. Instead, what they do, they freak out and they hide in their tents. At this point in the story, maybe we are all asking, wait, what? Why would God's chosen people be so afraid? Hadn't he already delivered them from the Egyptians? I mean, what about the Red Sea? That's a big deal. Remember the Ten Commandments? Remember the, the plagues? Or even more recently, hadn't he saved them from the Midianites in that crazy battle with Gideon and his 300 men? But here they are, the mighty army of God cowering and worried because one big guy with some big weapons is challenging one of them to fight him. Now, the story gets even more interesting because hiding in one of those tents is David's oldest brother, Eliab. Yeah, the guy who got uh, rejected at the beginning of the story. Yeah, you can bet that he's a bit irritated. I mean, because God passed him over and maybe he's joined the army now to prove himself and to prove that he's still got what it takes. But the last thing he wants to be reminded of is his little brother, which gets really awkward really quickly because suddenly David shows up with lunch. With lunch, Uh, imagine you're at work, you're feeling a bit low because it's not the job you'd hoped for, Uh, your little brother who is, you know, he's your little brother, he's not as good looking as you, he's not as strong as you, he has a much better job, and he's gonna make a lot more money than you, and he shows up at your place of work, at your little tiny cubicle, and he hands you a lunch from your dad. Oh my gosh, totally embarrassing, right? (laughs) we you'd be like, why are you here? Well, a sour mood gets only worse because Goliath comes back out and he starts taunting everyone again. It says this Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped from his line and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. David looks at all these brave soldiers hiding in their tents and is frankly quite puzzled. He asks, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Good question. What's happening? Why are they all why are you all scared? This guy has no covenant with God. This guy, this guy is, he's he's a Philistine, he's the enemy of God. Why are you afraid? Well Eliab finally can't stand it. He hasn't been happy with David since getting passed over by Samuel. He's not happy to be part of an army that won't fight. And now his little brother is acting like he's like the toughest guy in town. Eliab lets... Eliab does whatever every good brother does when he gets irritated. He lets his little brother have it. In fact, in uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 28, it says this. Eliab burned with anger at David and asked, Why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are. And how wicked your heart is, you just, you just came down here to watch the battle. And David knows that's not true. He, he's actually there because their father asked him to be there and he wanted to send lunch to his oldest sons. But David, being the man after God's own heart, even at this young age, ignores his brother's rude words. And right now, the only thing that David's thinking is, why is the army of God so afraid of this big guy? Well, eventually word gets to the king that there's someone who is acting like he wants to fight the giant that everyone else is so afraid of. So Saul's like, yes, bring this guy to me. And then walks David into the king's tent. Now the Bible isn't clear that if they recognize each other because Saul doesn't say, wait, the kid who sings me songs is the one acting like he can fight a giant, get out of here. He just looks at David and says, you are just a kid. You're, Goliath has been fighting people and killing them very well, mind you, since you were a baby. How do you think you can fight him? Those are not the exact words in the Bible, but you get the idea. David's response, though, is pretty incredible. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 34 through 37, he says this. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. I wish that was my response in the face of trials and fear and worry and when things get scary. I wish I would say, the Lord who has rescued me when I didn't have enough money to pay my mortgage and the one who saved me when I almost drove off the freeway on a road trip because I fell asleep, he will rescue me this time but I'm more like Saul and Eliab and the rest of the army and sitting worried in my corner because, oh no, the big, loud, scary thing is big and scary and loud, and I'm forgetting just how big and awesome my God actually is. Saul looks at David and says, okay, go kill the giant. Again, not the exact words, but you get the idea. This is David's biggest wait, wait, what moment? He's had several already. But in this moment, his braveness and his uh, and his fearlessness are put on the line. Braveness, that's not a word. Bravery is word I meant. <laughs> it's put on the line in that moment. He has said that he's willing to do what nobody else in all of Israel is willing to do. To fight this guy and prove the strength and goodness of the Lord. He said that he is 100% certain that God will deliver him. And that he will take care of that big giant. And now the king has told him, okay, go do it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a moment when you've been called to do what seems impossible and you've said, yes, I can do this because God is with me. Yes, I've got this because God has got me. It's easy to say you believe. It's easy to declare that you are certain of God's promises. Yes, I 100% believe in everything the Bible says, but then you actually have to do what? You have to live it out. You have to actually go and do it. Like David, we suddenly have to do the exact thing that we said we would do. This is the challenge of being a Christian. It's one thing to say you believe in God and you put your faith in Christ and you trust him to be the author and finisher of your faith and you know that he's got a plan and you can have confidence in that. It's another thing though to actually do it. You may say, I trust God with my finances but spend an inordinate amount of time worrying about your money. Oh, here's a good one. You may say, I trust God with the future of my country but spend a crazy amount of time posting about politics on your Facebook page. Here's the challenge, my friends. If you say you believe God will help you face the biggest things in life and actually deliver you from it, you can't be surprised when God says, okay, trust me, let's do this together. David doesn't look at Saul and say, well, I was speaking hypothetically. I was just testing a little faith exercise. He doesn't run back to his big brother alive and say, you were right. My heart's not in the right place. I'm going back to the sheep. In fact, Saul even offers his armor to David and David puts it on and goes, I, I can't even function in this. I'm not used to this. So he takes it off. He grabs the shepherd's staff and heads down into the valley. Remember, Philistine's over here, Israelite's here, Goliath is on this side, David's over here, David walks down into the valley. I actually sang a song about that from a Broadway show a long time ago. David walked into the valley. But then what happens? All right. He just walks into the valley. We don't know what David was thinking. We don't know what he was going through. But I am certain he had a little bit of fear. A little bit of, oh, what have I done? What did I just do? What did I just agree to? And maybe he felt like he was going to throw up. Honestly, I mean, I love that we have the, the, the scriptures full of heroes. But heroes who were real people. And even though he put his faith and trust in the Lord, he's gonna face a giant. We don't know what he's thinking, but we do know he walks down to the river valley and he grabs um, five smooth stones from next to the river there. He puts them in his little shepherd's bag. He's got a little kit that he carries with him everywhere he goes. I don't know what's in it. Um, Band-Aids, maybe some bread, uh, maybe a tuner for his lyre. But we know he, he walks down, grabs these stones, and then he just keeps walking toward the giant. Oh, and he also pulls out his sling. Now, it's not a slingshot, like you know, pew. it's uh, you know one of these things where you put a little thing stone in it and you, swish. and eventually when you let it go, it can get some good uh, good distance on it. And he's used this before. So while David's walking toward the giant, the giant's walking toward him. This nearly ten foot tall warrior carrying an incredibly heavy spear, sees this kid walking toward him and feels a bit insulted. I mean, hasn't he just dared the entire army of Israel to come out and fight him? And instead they said this kid? Goliath shouts, Am I a dog? Did you come at me with sticks? Come here! And I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David's moment is here. He replies back to the man, causing so much worry and fear with strength and calm and certainty in what God is going to do. Listen to this from 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spirit that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. God said to David, I want you to kill a giant. And David could have said, wait, you want me to face that guy? God, he's huge. His legs are as big as my whole body. (laughs) But he didn't as the giant kept coming closer, the Bible said that David reached into his bag and pulls out one stone. He placed it into the sling that he carried. And with one strong motion, the rock went flying from the sling and hit the giant squarely in the forehead, where the Bible says it sunk in. Blech, that's gross. But that shows you the force of that stone. It sunk in. And the Philistine was dead. He fell to the ground. The enemy who mocked God and his chosen people now lies face down in the Valley of Elah and what it seems so certain just the day before now falls apart. The armies of Israel jump ahead. They're so excited. They grab their swords, they grab their spears, and they chase down the Philistines who freak out, they start running and David stands over the giant's body and I guarantee you he kind of gets a grin on his face. His moment of wait, what am I supposed to be doing here, has become a moment of triumph. Not for him. Remember, he said, it's not about what I can do. The battle is the Lord's. All those other moments he'd wondered or worried or seemed to vanish in this one incredible moment because it became the most pivotal moment in his life. Instead of wondering, wait, you want me to face that guy? David looked at Saul and said, wait, I'm going to go face that guy. God delivered David because of his faith which is incredible when you think of it. God had already promised David that he would one day be king and nothing happened. God put David in the the palace every day and nothing happened. If it were me, I'd maybe tell God, I wasn't so certain that the promises were ones I could bank on. I'd maybe tell God, I'm sorry, but it's just not worth it. (laughs) But David doesn't do that. He's unafraid and better, he's unashamed. He boldly declares his trust in God and God rewards him for it with an incredible victory. And yes, after a few years go by, David does become the greatest king Israel will ever have. In spite of having to be patient and to wait and to hang in there when God promises something big, David is unafraid. That's what God wants from us. He wants that from us today, here in January of 2021, when the world just seems to be getting weirder and crazier. He wants us to look at the challenges we face and do it boldly. He doesn't want us to be afraid We're fearful of the future. I mean, we we may say, God, are you sure you want me to face that thing? And God will say back, Yes, I do. And I want you to know you won't be doing it alone because I will be right there with you. Whatever you face today, and I don't know what you're going to face today or what you're going to face tomorrow, this week may get nuts. But be like David. Remember God's promise. Be patient. Don't push it. Wait and don't be afraid. It may feel weird or strange or difficult, and you may be the only one doing it, but God will be with you just as he was with David. You don't need to hide or be afraid of what God wants for you, because even if he doesn't make it clear right away, he will show you what he wants from you, and he will give you the courage to face it. You will face a giant in your life. You will face what seems like our impossible odds, but when you do, remember what God said to Mary. Mary, who was one of David's descendants, yes, Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she found out that she would be the one to carry the Savior, the angel says to her, with God, nothing is impossible. The same God that helped David defeat a giant helped Mary understand that she could do the impossible. And he wants you to know that today. Instead of saying, wait, I have to face that, say, God, I know you're with me and we will defeat that thing we face together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just I, I thank you for the story of David and I thank you for the challenge it, it, it gives to me. Even though I've heard this story so many times as I was a kid, I am once again inspired and reminded that I will face challenges. I will be put in moments where I am asked to wait as you have a new thing ready for me. God, help me not to be afraid of the future. Help me to face it boldly. And instead of saying, God, what do you want me to do? Say, God, I'm ready to do exactly what it is that you want me to do. And I know that you will give me the courage and the strength to win the battle that you have for me. God, I pray for all of us that um, that have heard this message today. I pray that you will use these words to inspire and encourage us as we face the fears of today, tomorrow, the rest of this week, and the rest of this year. God, whatever we face as, a, as, as families, as people, as a country, I just pray that we will not be timid, that we will not be scared, but that we will be like David and come before our enemies, before the things that scare us in the faces and say, we know we can defeat you because God is with us. And this will not be us winning, but it will be him winning through us as we do his will. God, we love you. And we thank you for everything that we can learn from the story of David. And we thank you for the encouragement that your scripture is to us in every single moment of our lives. We love you, God.